Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park and fellow music fans, I'm Kayla. And I'm Bethany, and we're the hosts of Standing BTS from the Consequence Podcast Network. We're a bi-weekly show that covers the impact and legacy of K-pop group BTS. We mix the perfect blend of research and fangirl as we take a deep dive into lyrics during album reviews, theorize over music videos, and keep up with their current events. No BTS topic is off limits. We welcome everyone into the conversation, whether you're a casual fan, committed ARMY, or someone who's just curious about one of the biggest music groups in the world. Come chat with us every other Thursday with a new episode wherever podcasts are found. I'm Leo Phillips, host of This Must Be The Gig. We're a weekly podcast that documents everything about the world of live music. Speaking with choreographers, costume and set designers, the people who run beloved venues and festivals, and, of course, speaking with musicians about that one gig that changed their lives. Get your peek behind the curtain at consequenceofsound.net, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to The Opus, a co-production between Consequence of Sound and Sony that re-examines an iconic album and explores how its legend has evolved and how its legacy continues to shape our world. This season, we're journeying into the Jimi Hendrix Experience's Electric Ladyland. I'm your host, Ernest Wilkins. In our prior episode, writer Dan Epstein and I discussed the production techniques that made Hendrix's Ladyland iconic. In this episode, we're stepping out to a 30,000-foot view to discuss the larger cultural impact of music and film, and how Hendrix's music itself is interwoven into American culture via his music's inclusion in iconic movie moments. Let's get the band together. I'm Michael Rothman, President and Editor-in-Chief of Consequence of Sound. I'm Mike Vanderbilt, bartender, musician, assistant editor at Daily Grindhouse, and amateur bon vivant. I'm Michael DeVille, a rapper, actor, and teacher in the city of Chicago. You guys want to hear a fun anecdote? Yeah. Why not? All right. Do you know the first time Jimi Hendrix's music was used in an official Hollywood film? I don't. No. 
Tell me. It's a little film you may have heard of called Easy Rider. Oh, oh I do know Easy Rider. Right? Oh, I've yeah. seen that one. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. This year, the judges of the Cannes Film Festival presented the award Best Film by a New Director to Easy Rider. It's the story of a man who went looking for America and couldn't find it anywhere. Easy Rider kind of basically created the template for the soundtrack album. Mm. It's also one of the first times you hear uh, Born to be Wild over two guys riding motorcycles, which would become a joke yeah. in 40 years. Yeah. But that was the first time. It's hard to watch it now and not see that mm-hmm. and kind of chuckle at it. Mm-hmm. But like that was the first time that it was ever done. Wow. Which honestly, I think kind of says everything that we want to say with what film is doing with Hendrix. Right. Is that mm. we've seen it in over so many different forms of entertainment at least 200 films probably at this point his music has been featured in in some capacity even the fact that a movie as iconic as easy rider which has become literally a cultural touchstone uh, an entire generation of people you know saw that movie and gravitated towards that lifestyle Mm -hmm. the music of hendrix is a piece of that soundtrack yeah Hendrix is a myth in a lot of households, but a lot of that myth comes in addition to the music, but also from his placement in these things. The fact that he's a cultural touchstone to the point we can make a joke about it. You know what I mean? How important is film to a musician's legacy? Yeah, I I mean, I think it's crucial. I mean, around this time that Hendrix comes up, you see that the visual medium is so paramount to influencing all of society. I mean, look even back to like with Kennedy winning. You know, he was this good looking guy who's on television and people are seeing him on television. And that obviously led to his popularity at the time. And I think that could be said the same for anything in pop culture. The songs already that are rich and pregnant with so much meaning and for so many different people, when it's connected to a film or a specific iconic image, the myth grows larger and that that song becomes even more iconic and associated with this new attitude, this new era that was just sweeping across the planet and the music really like reinforced that but like the film really came to reinforce the music so now hendrix is bigger than you know sliced bread yeah (laughs) yeah i mean and it's funny to approach it from the standpoint of historical context Mm -hmm. right like you look back now you watch anything that's about the 60s you're gonna see Jimi hendrix out there strumming at some point whether it's woodstock or just at a concert Mm -hmm. and it's especially impressive since hendrix's career only lasted four years isn't that crazy (laughs) seinfeld lasted longer than Jimi hendrix's (laughs) wow but even think about just the whole old dorm room thing you know Mm -hmm. they're all artists that have been heavily featured in movies that have been heavily plastered across all forms of pop culture Mm -hmm. and it's all these famous shots I mean, I would argue that the sound of Hendrix is more influential than actually the image of Hendrix. Mm -hmm. Whereas like someone like, say, John Lennon or even like Bob Dylan, for example, like you see those artists that are on walls in college dormitories. I almost would argue that people can identify those posters and who those names are Mm -hmm. compared to actually listening to the music. But if you turn on Hendrix, people are going to know who Hendrix is. Like, I just think that there's something about his sound that's transcended it because of how it's been used. He's been identified as cool because he's been commingled with visual mediums that are associated with things that are cool. And I think it's just been this sort of conditioning in that respect. Cool is an 
intangible thing. And mm-hmm. like, he was one of the first guys to play guitar like that, yeah. which yeah. is why he's generally considered one of, if not the greatest electric guitar player of all time. That's the thing about legacy, right? We learned the culture because of the music. Mm-hmm. And so the music itself, it's your gateway drug, if you will, yeah. right? So you heard that song, you're like, what in the hell is that? And then all of a sudden you start looking and it's like he dresses different. You find out all of the things that he was kind of standing in defiance of in terms of look and feel and style. But bear in mind, like, dude was doing shows and like Eric Clapton and Lennon were there in the crowd, like losing their mind. So it wasn't a sense of a guy who was just really good at his craft to the point of becoming legendary. This dude legitimately inspired legends. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When we talk about that from a broader sense, I think film as a medium is the closest thing that we have to kind of really understand the gravity of how important culture is to our day-to-day lives. We can have this conversation about film, but we also have to have the conversation about everything else that kind of came along with it in order to build up that visual kind of motif. And a lot of that is the clothes and the passion of his playing, lighting things on fire. Like once you understood his backstory and understood where he came from. And then just watched them play even just once. Mm. You were moved because nobody was playing like that. And I don't think any of it was affected or premeditated. I think that's Mm -hmm. just who he was. It felt authentic, right? Right. And then when you hear that music, it immediately launches you into a time period. And when you first either heard or saw Hendrix, those colors, psychedelia, all of these things kind of ooze off of this guy. Mm -hmm. So when you hear that music played in a film... It connects that film to all of this other legendary cultural bags that he carried. And Easy Rider was one of those films where I saw it and I just thought, like, first word that came to my mind was just cool. Like, yeah. this is cool. And Hend- they got Hendrix on board? Like, yeah. cool, you know? You said that cool is intangible. And I agree. And I, and I think that there's some sort of, like, transmutation of cool, too. Because what's cool 30 years ago might not be cool mm. now and vice versa, actually. And for example, like with the fact that Hendrix has been so associated with cool, I'm a huge fan of Wayne's World. So I, when I think of Hendrix, I think of the scene where Garth <laughs> is getting up. This guy is a total dork and he's trying to act cool to impress this girl. Wayne, um, what do you do if every time you see this one incredible woman, you, you think you're going to hurl? I say hurl. If you blow chunks and she comes back, she's yours. If you spew and she bolts, it was never meant to be. Why don't you just go talk to her? Talk to her. Talk to her. Talk to her. There's a subversion there and you're able to kind of use that in a way that I don't know if that really works with a lot of other legends. Like I don't think like Nirvana, you could have done something like that. I don't think you could have done something like that even with the Beatles. And I don't think you could even really do that with even like all the other dorm room posters like Bob Marley or maybe The Clash or something like that. Or even Pink Floyd. Like there's just something about transmutation with his music that I think helps embellish his legend even more. I would end at the point, not only is he cool and he could rock, but he also had soul, yeah. which was yeah. also intangible. Too, yeah. Which a lot of, I mean, a lot of rock guys don't have soul. A lot of yeah. soul guys don't know how to rock, but Jimmy Hendrix could do yeah, both. both yeah. yeah, And that, that brings him to this every man kind of, he wasn't the best singer in the world, no. but like, you know, he knew that and he still stepped in front of the mic and played the guitar like crazy. And, yeah. that, and I think that Nobody. you can step in front of 
all these people and say like, yo, I'm not that good of a singer, but I'm going to do it anyway. The audience has to accept it because if they didn't come to hear you sing, they came to see you play. They came to see the spectacle that is Jimi Hendrix. Also, you think about like the descent of that kind of 50s culture and 50s music and Hendrix kind of represented a lot of that. You know, you look at like tapes of him playing at the Monterey Pop Festival Mm -hmm. or uh, Woodstock. And the audience is mostly there for it, but you watch them with eyes wide open, right? Like, it's just like a new cultural thing happening in movie companies and in studios and things like that. Loved at that time period to, like, kind of capture half the country is split on, is this the end of, like, you know, good, old-fashioned, you know, good times (laughs) in the 50s and whatever They're plugging in the guitars, yeah. Yeah, they're plugging in the car and letting their hair grow out, you know. And for black folk, like, seeing somebody like Hendrix, who performed in the Chitlin circuit, crossing over, one of the biggest mainstream crossover artists is Jimi Hendrix. And so I'm sure that had something to do with the inclusion of his music and his legacy in these films, and the integration was probably, like seamless when everybody came around to him yeah absolutely and i would also think like the footage factored into his loss yeah he's coming at a time when in his death he died in like 1970 right mm-hmm. so it's, he's it's basically happening right around the time of like the woodstock documentaries coming out yep. and then literally two years later they have like multiple documentaries about hendrix whether he's like playing at berkeley or the rainbow mm-hmm. bridge even or... the the box collection has the one at the hollywood bowl yeah in oh, yeah. the box set that is out right now yeah so you're able to like kind of experience this artist in a way that i don't think previous losses prior to hendrix really were able to capture it kind of set the template he's to how the... legends are going to if be he's created. not the first one he's in the conversation yeah how y'all doing? <laughs> you okay? Okay, then we'll see what happens. Hey, Jake, uh, whatever you see what's happening now is part of the show. Nothing is rehearsed, as you can tell. And like uh, I told up, we might be tuning up between every single song. It's because we really care for your ears. That's why we don't play so loud. Oh. Uh, a second, you know. One. And y'all with the ties, I think it's, you know, you should loosen up your tie and take off your wig or whatever you got on. And like, just get into it, man. It's just a relaxing thing, you know. I should have bought me flippers. Because I'm scared as hell. (laughs) It's not surprising to me that Hendrix still appears in pop culture, like nonstop, you know, even to today. I find that if you can sound different in a time where everything sort of kind of sounds the same, you stand out no matter what you're saying. And because Hendrix always has sounded different. He will always be relevant and he'll be on board games and in movies and and it's always a way to sell Hendrix. And who's just on SNL? Greta Van Van Fleet, Fleet, right? Whatever you feel about them. You got Zeppelin influences. You got Hendrix influences. Mm -hmm. And And those guys are what? In their early 20s? 20s, Yeah, 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 they're kids. And they they are strong. If you're on SNL, you're getting a wider audience for that genre of music, which shows that there is this kind of nostalgia and forlorn feeling about that genre of music. <laughs> it's almost like the powers that be somewhere, whether the pop culture powers that be go, all right, you're mainstream now, boom, and then that yeah. just goes big. And it's just a matter of time before the flower culture comes big again. Like, I earnestly believe that. I mean, we live in a culture too wrapped up in nostalgia to not find a new way to bring it into Do the future. Do you think Greta Absolutely. Van Fleet is the band that's going to kickstart hey, this no. stuff? We, look, we laugh, no, and I'm not no, a huge no. fan of them, but uh, oh my God, like their following online is insane. It's insane. And that's it's what they're doing. If you can find a way to like tap into that nostalgia, still be mainstream, still seem like you're having fun, 
you will bring back those kinds of waves. Yeah. Like, and also you have to look at you know that was the mm-hmm. era of the protest song because I, nobody liked you know the president in power. Right, sound familiar? So yeah. I feel yeah. right? I feel like his music and you know what he's been able to do for other mediums has only lasted so long. Political artists in my mind are the ones that survive. Like they mm-hmm. survive their music will yep. constant will always and forever survive. Even if he goes out of his way to say he isn't political. He was playing during a political time. Yeah, he's never overtly political no, in his music, no. I don't but believe. Him turning the Star Spangled Banner into what it was at the time in which it was happening became political in the content. Everybody was able to put that onto the music. And because of that, I think his shelf life had just increased and increased. And if you were only out here to put out like bangers and things that make people dance, that can be replaced. And so if Greta Van's, that, that's my that's my pitch. If they get a little bit more political, I'm down for them bringing this movement you know, back. A, a lot of young acts put out like that first record and they're derivative of somebody uh-huh. else and they kind of get derided by credits. Sometimes it takes two or three for them to find yeah, figure it out. I mean, the mesh of it. Like, it's, it's the point. Me, personally, like, I feel sometimes as I make music, I'm trapped in my heroes and my old ghosts, which oh, are, sure. you know, diggable planets and 90s hip-hop yeah. and, and stuff like that and finding myself in the same, like, the things that brought me to the platform were, were the politics of the time. And because all of these things sort of root back to Hendrix, I find all of my <laughs> music idols, everything that I loved about hippie culture, Tribe Called Quest and stuff like that, you go into their inspirations and you see... Hendrix is there. You look at Nirvana, and, yeah. which I heard about Nirvana because I right. grew up in the hood. Heard about Nirvana <laughs> way late and even yeah. Hendrix later. Yeah. And I only got to Hendrix and loving Hendrix and reading stuff about Hendrix because I was so into figuring out Kurt Cobain. And yeah. Kurt Cobain would always cite that he wanted to play like Hendrix, you yeah. know, but he never could. Like, yeah. You know, so he just yeah. did it the best he could. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think legacy, power and politics is the soup that can feed the world. No, absolutely. <laughs> I love it. I love and it. I think honestly a lot of that political power absolutely comes from visual medium. I mean because yeah. if you think about it like let's say that Hendrix put the Star Spangled Banner on like an album. It would have no effect compared to when True. you actually see him like in front of a crowd and have that sort of visual medium. The factors that lead to political music are not changing. And so that's mm. why they're always relevant. Yeah. And yeah. He, with a career only lasting really four years, mm-hmm. he never had that chance to make a bad record. No, <laughs> no, that's, but that's yeah. a good point. And, and honestly, we live in a culture now where everyone is trying to find a new way to take a piece of pop culture and use it for themselves. Like, mm. I mean, the biggest thing is television. I mean, think of it this way. Like, I've heard U2's With or Without You probably a million times my entire life. <laughs> yeah, probably. And it never meant as much as it did last year when I heard it soundtrack the closing of the Americans. And yeah. that happens all the time. Like, I've heard, like, Every Day by Buddy Holly a yeah. bunch of times. <laughs> and then it plays in Mad Men. And I'm like, oh. Wow, that song is really good. Even though, like, two days before that show, if someone played every day, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that was really good in Stand By Me. Awesome. Great, <laughs> great song. But the thing is, is like, there's just this, it's all cyclical and it's all renewed. And mm-hmm. someone at some point is going to just take a deep cut that maybe we haven't heard of and use right. it in something that means so much to everyone else in the world at a given moment. And I think that's the power of a legend, but I also think it's maybe the power of music and film itself. We lived together for two years. We're still friends, but... I did the same thing. It's like one day one of you just goes out for groceries and never comes back. I know. It's like everyone I know wants everything to be easy. I know. Why did I have to meet you in a club? I don't know. 
I mean, Singles was the biggest soundtrack of that era. Yeah. And I mean, Hendrix is on it. That whole soundtrack, and especially the grunge movement itself, is totally in debt to Seattle like sixties yeah. music and seventies, like early seventies. I believe rock I read a stuff. piece on Consequence of Sound about the uh, <laughs> the influence of Hendrix on uh, the single soundtrack. Mm, oh, you did plug plug. plug. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, that that is true. But uh, if you go back to like what the Easy Rider soundtrack was able to do, there's multiple ways you can kind of pull from it. Like one, it opened the eyes for Hollywood executives to be like, oh my god, we can make a lot more money yeah. with just making yeah. a soundtrack. But then it also created this almost like a music video. Mm. The music yeah. uh, propels the, the mm-hmm. movie. Like we're talking about Easy Rider, like nostalgia for that era. But it's not a nostalgic no, film. This not. is what it's 1968 great. looked like. This is what 1968 sounded like. Yeah, and it arrived literally at the end of an era. Yeah. I mean, it was 69, I think the movie came out. It yeah, was filmed in 68. So. And yet you look back on where America was at the time, and it really was like a button to a culture that had pretty much moved on. It's like, you know, it's a quote, like the, the, the Hunter S. Thompson line from Fear and Loathing Las Vegas is like the, the watermark had already been hit like at that yeah. point, you know, because like 68 was, you know, it was the most violent year in America. Absolutely. And then after that, you have this like, you, it's like this explosion. It kind of like subsides. And the way that culture latched on to some of the deaths of people that were so important at that time, yeah. it was almost like they were just kind of cultivating echoes, yeah. you know, so to speak. And I feel like that music becomes part of this visual medium, which becomes this visual echo in a way, if that makes any sense. And it just keeps going and going and going. There must be some kind of way out of here Say the joker to the thief There's too much confusion why is Jimi Hendrix's All Along the Watchtower in every single Vietnam War documentary? <laughs> Why? I, just, I don't get it. Because you can only play Fortunate Son by CCR once in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, I promise you, every documentary about Vietnam will feature All Along the Watchtower. There's a helicopter. Yeah. It's descending yeah. on a rice yeah. paddy. The fact that I say All Along the Watchtower or Fortune and Sun and you laugh because of Forrest Gump or something like that. Yeah. Like, it's so interesting to me because people say, like, what's culture, right? What's cool? To your earlier point, cool isn't an intangible, but you know it when you see it. Is it because our generation saw the people that we looked at as cool idolizing Jimi Hendrix. You know, they're the second generation at this point. We were like, yeah, we're signing us up for that. And as we continue to make movies and make media, like the mm-hmm. fact that the people who are the showrunners for the Americans are people who probably grew up around the time where YouTube was taking over the world. Yeah. So like for yeah. them, yeah, of course you use it with or without you. But I think as our generation gets into positions of power, what you're starting to see is we have that reverence that you were talking about, about this classic rock, right? Everybody wants classic rock. And that is the Stones. That's the Beatles. That's Jimi Hendrix. Mm. It seems like it's going to outlive us. But I'm just trying to figure out what makes people go, hey, this is a movie about a turbulent time. I need some Hendrix in here. (laughs) Because it's the sign of the turbulent time. That was what was on the radio. Well, I think turbulence is synonymous to Americanness, and mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix is the most American story in terms of. I just feel like his story from rags to riches coming on up. Like I said, I grew up on the west side of Chicago. I grew up mm-hmm. in the hood, and even in the hood, like people don't listen to classic rock. 
Rock came like a delayed satellite signal to the moon. <laughs> like yeah. I, I, I would get it because everybody listens to who introduced well, you to rock and roll. Then a Spanish teacher I had yeah. who saw that I wanted to do something different, and I, he would let me sit in his room and noodle on his acoustic guitar that had like three strings, yeah. right? He was like, "I'm gonna help this youth out," and he yeah. said, he, he gave me like U <laughs> two at first. I he didn't listen to any rock. And then he put yeah. me on a, like Hendrix and stuff like that. Right. And then I got into Nirvana and but it's, White it's, Stripes. But it was it crazy that's life. like a class? Like basically Absolutely. like you were taught that. But the th- So for me, I was introduced to Jimi Hendrix because of the blues. Because mm. blues, Chicago, you know, those things are synonymous. Yeah. Jimi Hendrix played like a blues man. And so my elders were mm-hmm. like, oh, no. We like him. He dresses like a white boy, but <laughs> he plays like a black man. Everybody in the hood knew who Hendrix was. Because he played with the Isley Brothers. Because he played with, right. you know, all of these legendary it, acts. It, Jimi Hendrix plays a guitar on a Little Richard song, right? Yeah. And it's like Bernard Purdy's on drums. Uh, Billy Preston's on the organ. It's like this super <laughs> yeah. band, but they were Little Richard's band. I don't know what you got. I feel like boomers mm-hmm. and older blacks are like, yo, that's the music we were getting to. Yeah, the before, stuff. You even know before Hendrix was Hendrix, like Hendrix was just a guitarist to them that that kind of crossed over, mm-hmm. and everybody knew who Hendrix was, and to me. That made him like super duper American in that point. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. If somebody from where I'm from understands and uses his name as a touchstone, yep. and then I go to college where I'm like the only black person in the room and I see Hendrix, somebody who looks like me, but nobody's bringing up the conversation of like race and his past and yeah. where he played and stuff. It's just such an American story. And I feel like you utilize that music when you want to utilize change mm-hmm. or, or when you want to bring up change in, in the country and the war and all of this stuff. He, he became synonymous to those things. And one thing that's always struck me about Jimi Hendrix, for him inspiring so many hippies, classic rock types, and psychedelia. Like, there's a certain punk rock attitude to the band. My favorite bands are bands that sound like they could fall apart at any minute. (laughs) That whole band, they're all playing lead. Mm -hmm. There's lead bass, there's lead guitar, there's lead drums. Everything's kind of turned up into the mix to the front because you don't feel those drums so much as you hear those drums. (laughs) And it all sounds like it can fall apart at any minute, which I think is emblematic of the time. Yes. Well, Lady Landon did fall apart because yes. they, the band got tired of him performing for, for 37 straight hours recording. <laughs> 96 takes. All right, hey, we're going to do Crosstown Traffic again. It's yeah. like, they were fed up. Yeah. I mean, him doing like alternate versions of every single song. Some of these demos, you hear it and you're like, why did they do another one? <laughs> I think it's key to acknowledge that those demos in and of themselves tell a story because there's a lot of stuff in Hendrix's mythology that actually has been lost to history. Like the first time that Slight Return was ever played Uh was on a TV show and they were just dicking around. They were just seriously just like, and he goes, hey, we got to play. Like it's like a top of the pops thing. Like they're just kind of standing there strumming. And Hendrix goes, "Uh, let's try something new. And so 
they kept retaping, you know, little spots in the show. And by the end of it, they had written Voodoo Child's Slight Return, like one of the most iconic songs in Hendrix's folklore. Yeah. As a goof, but that footage is lost to history. So it's one of those things to me where like things like these demos, you talk about the box sets. I feel like the box sets, in a sense, have as much responsibility as an inclusion on a soundtrack. Because if you're going to put this music mm. out for this person, people are showing up because they want all killer, no filler. Right. Mm. They want you to say like, hey, I'm obsessed with this person because I want to know more. If you're a new fan that's coming into this artist, odds are you are going to either play the songs that you know. But if you really do love this artist, you want to just consume as much as possible. And I think maybe blame it on Reddit. Blame it on. Um, <laughs> that's you know, fair. Like, that's my new single. Blame it on Reddit. Yeah, blame it on Reddit. Just blame it on the, the, the culture of just we want to know everything. There seems to be this obsession to be able to find like every nook and cranny. And yeah. I see it with like all types of fandom now. And especially because everything's available. Yeah. Like you can stream everything. You could find everything. Like the internet is this total waste wasteland and wild west of being able to find just everything and that's part of the fun and i think that now more than ever like if i was like let's say like i'm 13 years old now and i go see like wayne's and i love it and i go oh wow that song foxy lady is great i'm gonna go look it up i'm probably gonna go on to like right. spotify and i'm going to just absorb everything yeah all dude. the demos you get to dive in, all, yeah. this, all the, the you don't have to stuff. go out and buy the record well, that's, that's yeah. how i first experienced hendrix i went down a youtube hole of yeah. him and i think i saw him playing a 12 string hear my train a coming and yeah. then from then on out you see him on every talk show you can catch and yeah. and, and the video it brings him to life it takes him away from the legend and you yeah. see him dicking around he was unpredictable yeah. and that is exciting to watch you know yeah. somebody who could just come up with genius or completely just play something that just sounds like trash and be probably wasted out of his mind yeah. but like you know what i mean yeah. it was a part of rock and roll at the point it's part you of know, that intangible totally. cool that we yeah right about <laughs> what it is. and i almost feel like people now get a more realistic version of the legend than they ever have absolutely this is actually a really great time to be a young person looking for stuff because the search is never going away and no, i think sometimes no. when people say that they don't like how accessible things are they're talking about the, the search because in the search that's where the work comes in right that's yeah. the i'm going to drive across town to go find this thing and <laughs> and i don't think that's ever going away i think if anything it just moved online like everything else because i know kids who will legitimately buy like clothes or shoes or rare something from a country that they will likely never go to <laughs> and be able to have a conversation with somebody that they will likely never have a conversation with in real life mm. about Jimi hendrix like Absolutely. if you go look at the hendrix subreddit right now people are just in there yeah, yeah. right now just right Hurry. now and, and if you're listening <laughs> shout out to the hendrix subreddit we'd love to be featured on an ama check out my new single blame yeah, it on check out my new single. <laughs> blame it on reddit blame it on reddit <laughs> The thing I want to really kind of hammer home here is the concept of you don't really know what an icon is until somebody tells you. Mm -hmm. And I think in a majority of cases, you see something, you're like, what is that? And that first reaction is why we're still talking about Jimi Hendrix 50 mm -hmm. plus years later. Yeah. Right. The what in the, the you talked earlier about seeing concert footage. And if you get this box set, there's a performance from the Hollywood Bowl and you can hear people like, <gasps> Oh my yeah, God. Like people are clutching their pearls IRL. And it, it's wild to me to, to think about that because I haven't had that reaction to something in a yeah. long time. And so I think it's so important to keep talking about this stuff. Because one of the things that was frustrating a lot of times when we were putting this together was I know the myth of Jimi Hendrix, but I didn't know enough to be able to have a conversation past that. Mm. So doing the research for this podcast series has been rewarding because 
I get it now. Yeah. When it comes to someone who has a cultural identity that is synonymous with, and I'll say at the risk of hyperbole, an entire nation, right? Uh-huh. Jimi Hendrix output as an American, we're like, this is what we're bringing. Yeah. We got Sesame Street, we got <laughs> Jimi Hendrix, and we got disco. Yeah. What's up? <laughs> Understand that Jimi Hendrix's legacy is as big of a piece of you as the 4th of July is. It's as big of a piece of the national anthem is. Yeah. That's why he's so synonymous. We are talking so much about this guy because he's worth talking about mm-hmm. absolutely i'm sorry to say we only have one more last number to do so for that we'll have to play the star spangled banner please don't get mad thank you very much for showing up thank you very much and uh, y'all could do anything wow look at those people up there y'all just do anything you want because this is the last song right America, right? This is part three of a four-part series. We hope you'll join us next week for our final episode exploring Electric Ladyland. What's to come? Well, follow us on your favorite podcast platform to find out. Apple Podcasts, Acast, Spotify, Stitcher. You can find us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. If you're looking to listen to the album itself, Electric Ladyland is currently available to stream on Spotify and Apple Music. The new 50th anniversary box set from Sony is out right now and features a completely new remaster from the original analog tapes, in addition to three albums worth of unreleased material, from rare demos to alternate versions to an entire live album that finds Hendrix conquering the legendary Hollywood Bowl. Hop on down to your favorite brick and mortar shop to pick it up. And if that's not enough Hendrix for you, head to Consequence of Sound, where you can find several editorials on the guitar maestro. You can find The Opus on Facebook at The Opus CPN and me on Twitter at Ernest Wilkins. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. I'll see you in episode four, the grand finale. The Opus is written by Ernest Wilkins and recorded in Chicago at Consequence of Sound by Michael Rothman. It's edited and produced by Cap Blacker. Our theme music is by Coach Hop. Find more at coachhop.bandcamp.com. Series artwork is by Stephen Fish. Consequence Podcast Network. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park
What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.